Close Watch, episode 19. Rob here. On this episode, Philip Boone from the Ultimate Gilmore Girls Movie Night podcast joins us to discuss 1951's An American in Paris, starring Gene Kelly and Leslie Caron. You might uh, you might notice at the beginning of this episode that we kind of launch right into the conversation. I forget to give Philip the opportunity to promote his podcast. But what the Ultimate Gilmore Girls Movie Night is, is Philip and his wife... And they watch and review every single movie that has been mentioned on the television series The Gilmore Girls. So uh, it's a really fun podcast. They've covered, let's see, most recently as of this recording, uh, Mary Poppins, Carrie, Mask, Beethoven, the 1993 family film about a St. Bernard wreaking havoc on Charles Grodin's life. Uh, Where are my 90s kids at? So definitely check them out. That's Ultimate Gilmore Girls Movie Night podcast. You can find them on Facebook. Uh, Philip is himself is on Twitter, Philip underscore Boone. Definitely check that out. And apologies to Philip for forgetting to give him that uh, that plug up front. But as always, speaking of plugs, you can find more episodes of this show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Good Pods, and other podcatchers, as well as CricketTable.com. Go ahead and give us a rating and review wherever you're listening to this. For now, let's listen to a little bit of the trailer and then jump into our conversation about 1951's An American in Paris. This is Paris, and I'm an American who lives here. I'm a painter. All my life, that's all I've ever wanted to do. Brother, if you can't paint in Paris, you better give up and marry the boss's daughter. Oh, I have a lot of good friends in Paris. A lot of very good friends. And I am one of them. I'm a concert pianist. That's a pretentious way of saying I'm uh, unemployed at the moment. I like Paris. It's a place where you don't run into old friends, although that has never been one of my problems. Strangely enough, I made a friend over here once. I worked for him. His name was Henri Borel. You know, the French music hall star. Do you remember him? I remember, because that is me. Begin today. You'll find it nice, the quickest way to paradise. I'll build the stairway to paradise, with the new steps every day. She's an exciting girl. She's like a sunbeam. When she walks down the street, everybody feels a little better. Wonderful, marvelous. She should care for me. Welcome to Close Watch, the show where we get to know our guests through the movies they love. On this episode, we're talking 1951's An American in Paris as we work our way through movie musicals throughout 2023. Uh, from uh, man-eating plants to the vibrant streets of Washington Heights to Gene Kelly, who, you know, no list of best musicals or musical retrospectives is complete without Gene Kelly, of course. So I'm honored to welcome to the show Philip Boone of the Ultimate Gilmore Girls Movie Night. Welcome to the show. Thank you. I'm so excited to be here. I do want to start off because you talked about um, man-eating plants. 
And I did want to, I listened to the, um, to your podcast about a little shop of horrors. Yeah. And I actually am in favor of just about what you said at the end. I really want them to do a remake so they can do the actual theatrical ending. Mm-hmm. Um, I, obviously they can put the, ori- the original ending back. They, they show that in the DVD, but I would like yeah. them just to go full fledged into the, what the theatrical ending is. Right. So I'm actually in favor of a remake, which you guys were not, which I understand why, but I just wanted to throw that out there before we talk about an American in Paris. <laughs> yeah, no, no, absolutely. I, it's it. My thing with remakes is if you're going to do it, you, you want to, you have to have a different take. It, this is my big issue with, obviously when you hear the word remake nowadays, one of the first things you think of is all those Disney live action remakes. They have the little mermaid coming and Peter Pan and Wendy and every other one that they've ever made in animated form. Uh, and, and the ones that work are the ones that dig deeper, that, that have a vastly different approach to the material. Like, you know, we'll get the, the prequel sort of element with Cruella Mm -hmm. or, a different uh, from a different perspective, like when Maleficent, or or digging deeper into the story and adding layers that weren't there, like Jungle Book. I think Cinderella does a good job modernizing it, but like a lot of those other ones are just literally let's film people doing what the cartoons did mm-hmm. twenty five years ago, and maybe add a song here and there, and that's about it. So I think yeah. if they were to do Little Shop of Horrors, like they would, I would want it to be something. I wanted to make it as different as they'll allow themselves to make it. And going with the theatrical ending, I think is definitely, mm-hmm. uh, it's yeah. definitely and a really, one way it's to hard. accomplish it. Rick Moranis is just, it's hard to beat him in that role or Ellen Green. Yeah. Like the people that were in the role were perfect for the roles. Yeah. So I can completely understand it. Um, why they might not want to, but that was just the thought I wanted to throw out there. Cause I would like the actual theatrical or the actual yeah theatrical ending the on Broadway to be a yeah. part of it. Yeah, 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 yeah. Absolutely. I think part of the issue, part of the issue, my guest and I had, I think, with that ending on this version of the film is that it, those characters are so sympathetic in the in the mm-hmm. in the current version of the movie. So the the sort of dark, like sat, uh, satirical ending that that is of the original uh, stage production feels like to me always feels like jars with those characters because you're really rooting mm-hmm. for them throughout that. So I think. Give her, give us like a if you if they were to do a little shop of horrors but with a darker with a darker edge make make Seymour and Audrey less inherently likable and and throughout, give us a little the throughout the movie exactly and so that when they're eaten we're like yeah we're, we're rooting for the plant like <laughs> down with people uh, I'm doing uh, on franchise detours uh, you and I recently talked about Ninja Turtles I'm doing the Planet of the Apes movies next. And so I've already started watching some of those in preparation. And man, it's just going to be nine movies of, you know what? People suck. <laughs> Maybe just burn the whole thing down. Um, I just, uh, as of this recording, just last night was watching Beneath the Planet of the Apes, which spoilers for, for like a 50 year old movie just ends with them like maybe just blow up the earth charlton heston's just like eh, we had our time let's just move on <laughs> um so i think there's a way to do that and make that satisfying uh for audiences as well but yeah I but, would agree, we're, definitely. but we're here for an american in paris so <laughs> it's a good follow-up to little shop of horrors which is a movie i i think people <laughs> our age talk about and remember little shop of horrors but like maybe the younger generation and they haven't discovered it in the same way uh, so, mm-hmm. you know, if anything, a remake would, would bring more eyes to the, to the, the 19, 1986 version. Uh, so That's when I was, 
when I was tweeting about that I was doing this, you were like, musicals, that's my favorite genre. And I was like, let's get you on one. And so you immediately, you listed a few different options, but you immediately like, I know you did Singing in the Rain on this feed already. Gene Kelly is my guy. So Philip, what, what's, what's your history with musicals in general and why, what, why Gene Kelly specifically? Well, I have been a musical fan my whole life. I've performed in theatrical productions um, just in general. I, I, when I was in high school, I was in Anything Goes where I had to learn how to tap dance. I was in Sweeney Todd, which is completely different from An American Paris. And then I've been in Joseph and the Amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat and all these different musicals. So I've always been a huge musical fan. I really go towards the MGM movie musicals from the 40s and 50s. Mm -hmm. Those are my jam. And that is one thing that I really am wanting for movies today to really get into. Because right now, all the movies we're doing are or all the movies that are musicals are mostly Broadway um, that they yeah. just put on film, um, except for La La Land, which we can talk a little bit about that. That's one reason I actually really liked La La Land because it felt like an MGM musical from the forties or fifties. Yeah. And they had different bits and pieces from it. And Gene Kelly, I've seen every single one of his movie musicals and he's done some straight plays as well. I have every single one of his dances. Like I can tell you how the dance goes. Sometimes when my wife is a nurse and she's worked nights, whenever she was working nights and after my kids were in bed, sometimes I just go to YouTube and watch Gene Kelly dances. And I have just always loved his way of dancing. I also love Fred Astaire as well. Mm -hmm. And um, I have a lot of Fred Astaire, Ginger Rogers movies on DVD, but I, Love both of the way they dance, which are completely different styles. Yeah, I don't know if you've ever studied or looked at Gene Kelly and Fred Astaire about how they dance. But um, do you mind if I get into that just a little bit? Absolutely. No, please. Yeah. Fred Astaire, if you look at Fred Astaire, he glides across the floor. He just, his taps just skim, kind of skim the ground. While Gene Kelly, he's a lot lower to the ground. He digs his taps to make just the taps that much sharper, where his stairs just glide on the floor. If we if we even uh, move on from that, just what they wear, a stair dances in more formal wear. A lot of his a lot of his dances are a part. A lot of his dances are a part of a show. So what I mean by that is it's like a theatrical production that Fred Astaire is in in his movie. It's like for performance rather than a part of the movie per se. He's just, he's in this theatrical performance and he's performing for the crowd as a part of the movie. So, so he dances a lot more in top hats, tails, and especially with Ginger Rogers, his however many movies he did with her. That's a lot of what he wore. Even if he doesn't do that, he still wears slacks and a nice shirt. Whereas Gene Kelly will just tap dance or dance in whatever he is on. Like in this movie, if I if you take the song Tra La La, which is probably one of my favorite songs in the movie, um, the This Time It's Really Love, Tra La La La, that song, um, Gene mm-hmm. Kelly unbuttons his shirt and is basically just dancing in an undershirt. Yeah. Fred Astaire would never do that. <laughs> he would never be seen just dancing with the shirt unbuttoned and have this undershirt underneath. 
Um, he did a dance in a, a movie called Thousands Cheer, where he's a part of the army, a part of some armed some armed forces, and in it, he's wearing a white T-shirt with jeans, and that and Fred Astaire would not ta- would not dance in that. And one of the reasons why I think is Gene Kelly, as a child, he didn't want to be a dancer. He um, had, I mean, the only reason that he actually got into dance was because he wanted to meet girls. And he was like, this way I could, I will become close with a girl. And, and, and we're supposed to be because we're dancing. So, yeah. so that was the reason he got into dancing. He wanted to be, he wanted to play for the Pittsburgh Pirates when he was young. He wanted to play baseball. Mm-hmm. And he dances like an athlete. He dances as opposed to Fred Astaire, who's light, who's gliding across the floor. Gene Kelly dances way more physical, like like an athlete might dance. Um, in fact, in the mid to late fifties, he there was a there was a special that he did um, that he hosted called like I think it was um, Gene, um, Dancing a Man's Game. Something like that. And what it was, was he would have athletes of the day. So like Mickey Mantle was one of them. They would show Mickey Mantle throwing the ball. And then they would go to Gene Kelly and throwing the ball, but as a part of a dance. (laughs) To show that it is a sport. It is athletic. um, Which is something that he did, that Fred Astaire, while he was a great dancer, he didn't really have the athleticism involved in his dance like Gene Kelly did. Right. And um, Gene Kelly actually had two quotes about Fred Astaire. And one of them is, if Fred Astaire is the Cary Grant of dance, then I'm the Marlon Brando, which I think works well. Marlon Brando is the more physical Cary Grant as more maybe suave or right. um, debonair. And then he also said, Fred Astaire represents, or Fred Astaire represented the aristocracy and I represented the proletariat. Which right. proletariat, we know aristocracy, proletariat is the work. And kind, that kind of worked out well because Fred Astaire was the aristocrat, aristocratic, more type of dancing. And Gene Kelly was the person that really represented the working class people. Um, I, I mean, whenever I watch them, whenever I watch Gene Kelly, the thing that watching him fools me about is it fools me into thinking that whatever he can do, I can do. Whereas with Fred Astaire, for, I I don't know why, but Fred Astaire, when I'm watching, I'm like, there's no way I could do that. But Gene mm. Kelly, just the way he dances somehow, makes me think, oh, I can do that just like he can. Um, which I don't really know um, how to explain that, except it's just it's just odd. But which Fred Astaire, never, whenever I watch him dance, I um, never I never think, oh, I could do that. But with Gene Kelly, I do. And so Gene Kelly, I like all of his movies. I love. I will watch them over and over. And I've just been a fan. Singing in the Rain has been my favorite movie, probably since I was in high school. Mm-hmm. So I why, why that just, one specifically? Just because it's so iconic. Um, yeah, probably. I think. I mean, that's the one that is known. Mm-hmm. Um, that's the one, especially in the. That would have been the late nineties. It would have been easier to get Singing in the Rain than some of his other movies to watch. I don't remember if we had it on VHS or not, but I I think it was just it was the Gene Kelly movie that my parents knew, and my parents and and I ended up loving a movie because most of the movies 
that I loved growing up, it was because my parents would show them. So right. they showed me Singing in the Rain. And then after I loved Singing in the Rain, I made it a point to rent as many Gene Kelly movies as I could find. I mean, nowadays it's a lot easier to do that with streaming. Absolutely. Even if it's not on a streaming service, you can um, for free or for just the amount they're paying for the streaming service, you can rent it on Amazon Prime or something. But yeah, but Singing in the Rain um, and just really Singing in the Rain has a lot different humor than the other movies do. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, there's. I mean, I think I think the Donald O'Connor character, really, with which is Cosmo, he really is someone that I could relate to, and his his character just had all the humor for the most part, um, which is funny because Oscar Levant, who is in an American Paradise, Arthur Freed, who produced Singing in the Rain, wanted Oscar Levant for Cosmo Brown. That makes perfect sense because as you were saying that, I was like, oh, it's kind of the same function that Oscar Levant mm-hmm. plays in this film. But still a completely different character, a yeah. cynical character. <laughs> but so he, he's a humorous character, but kind of in a different way. Yeah. Um, and, the, and that's when the actual um, for Singing in the Rain, everybody else except for Arthur Freed wanted a dancer. So like um, Comden and Green, who um, wrote Adolph Comden and Betty Green, wrote the script for Singing in the Rain, and Stanley Donan and Gene Kelly all wanted a dancer. So that's when they got Donald O'Connor. But that's just an interesting kind of go-between go between An American in Paris and Singing in the Rain. It, it's funny, too. Well, first of all, I was thinking before you even said the, about the proletariat comment uh it did i was even to say he is basically like the people's song and dance man uh he's always you know he's always playing characters in here he's playing a struggling artist a street Mm -hmm. artist who kind of falls in you know falls into a air quote relationship with a a, a sponsor uh, a patron of his of his work uh so yeah it's it's he's sort of the ambitious working class land of looking in as opposed to Fred Astaire. And, and uh, I do think it's interesting that this film was, at the time at least, more celebrated. It won this one six Oscars, including mm-hmm. Best Picture and Best Screenplay. And Singing in the Rain, I think, was nominated for a couple. And yet mm-hmm. everyone knows Singing in the Rain. And I feel like this is yeah. considered one of the best musicals ever made. But it doesn't, it doesn't have the same notoriety among casual moviegoers that Singing in the Rain would even now. And I think that's kind of curious. Yeah, and I believe the Singing in the Rain didn't get as many awards and as much um, just props in its day because An American in Paris did so well. Because An American in Paris did so well, Singing in the Rain, because of that, I feel like Singing in the Rain didn't get, wasn't looked on as positively in 1952. They were like, we just gave, we just just gave, (laughs) yeah, moving on. Yeah, I mean, they gave him a special Oscar for the 17-minute ballet. I don't even remember <laughs> were like, what the what? Oscar was called, but they just gave him it because he was like, they were like, you know what? That was amazing. Here <laughs> we got to do something. <laughs> yeah. We got to get Gene and, Kelly back at this party and everything. Yeah. And with Gene Kelly, because I know anytime I talk about Gene Kelly, um, people will always mention that he was a jerk mm-hmm. because he was um, a perfectionist as far as his right. dancing goes. And yes. there were times like he has since, I mean, he passed away in 96, I believe, but kind of at the end of his life, he would mention singing in the rain and, and tell people he would actually say it's, it's a surprise that Debbie Reynolds even talks to me <laughs> because of how 
because of how he treated her. And, mm-hmm. and it, uh, it might have been harsh. Um, I don't think he was a, I don't personally think um, that he was a quote unquote jerk. I think he was a perfectionist who, I mean, he wanted people to dance as well as Gene Kelly dances. Right. Um, which is, can be ridiculous a lot of times. Like Debbie Reynolds yeah. had very little dancing, had, had studied dancing very little before being in Singing in the Rain. And all of a sudden, she's supposed to be as good as Gene Kelly and Donald O'Connor are. Um, so he had this perfectionism about him. One thing about his warmth that I like to think about is his friendship with Judy Garland was one of the best friendships. Um, and he, his first movie was For Me and My Gal, um, which w- had Judy Garland and had an actor by the name of George Murphy, who later became a senator. He was one of those actors who would go into politics afterwards. Um, so, but he, that was Gene Kelly's first movie, For Me and My Gal. And he wasn't, he, I don't think he even had the, he didn't, he didn't even have second billing behind Judy Garland. Because obviously Judy Garland had first billing. I think George Murphy had second. And right behind that was Gene Kelly because that was his first movie. Nobody really knew who he was. Right. And he, and she basically taught him how movie making works. She showed him the ropes of movie making. So they, uh, so they kind of got just this friendship going on from the very beginning, which was 1942. He did two more movies with Judy Garland. The Pirate, which is a, a wonderful movie that is extremely underrated. Um, it has no tap dancing, but it has a bunch of other types of dancing because he was trained in ballet, trained in all this other dancing, which that actually Fred Astaire was not. Fred Astaire mm-hmm. was not a trained ballet dancer in ballet um, or some of, or jazz. Um, he was basically he was strictly ballroom and tap and. Gene Kelly was trained in all these other types of dance. Um, but, but The Pirate was another movie they made. And then in 1950, they made a movie called Summerstock. Now, in 1950, when they did Summerstock, um, that, is one, that is basically one of those movies. I don't know if you've ever seen a Judy Garland, Mickey Rooney, Let's Put on a Show movie. Mm-hmm, yeah. But that's basically what Summerstock is. It's like, let's put on a show in the barn. Let's have people go and put on the show. And that's what Summerstock is. Gene Kelly didn't really want to do that because he, his goal was always to push movies further, to push dancing further. And Summerstock was kind of a backward step for him as far as pushing just the movie musical genre and dance in general. But in Summerstock, he didn't want to do it, but he did it as a gift for... Um, Judy Garland, because in 1950, by that time, Judy Garland was already struggling. Um, I mean, I mean, we a lot of us already know the whole a lot of the Judy Garland story right. in the 40s and 30s, 40s, 50s. Being a young actress, um, it's uh, it's going to be a shock. A lot of people try to take advantage of you, <laughs> mm-hmm. as they do still to as they continue to still do. Um, and that and Judy Garland by that time had already people had started to take advantage. She had been giving um, had been getting drugs um, already by the time she was in Summerstock. So she was already struggling, um, and so that so Gene Kelly wanted to do this as a gift for Judy Garland. Mm-hmm. There was one time that Judy Garland was too sick to go on, um, so Gene Kelly actually 
said that he could not go on for he could not um, get out of his trailer. He had he wasn't able to. He was too sick to perform today or to act today um, to give Judy Garland an extra day so they wouldn't be mad at her. Right. And then and then she really um, had some trouble at one point. And Jink, so rather than just and they kind of do that in this one, which we'll, we never get to in American Paris. We'll talk about how one person getting sick makes something amazing happen. Mm-hmm. But in in Summerstock, um, she was she was sick. She she had she had to take like a week off, a few days. So rather than just sit, Gene Kelly um, thought, "Hey, I'm going to make this dance number. I'm going to do a figure out a dance number for the film." Because you can always in movie musicals, you can always add more dance numbers. Okay. So, so there was one dance number where they do it. It's called like I don't know. It's, it's a barn dance or a newspaper dance. But he finds a squeaky board when he's kind of in the barn, and he uses the squeaky board as a part of his dance. He there's a part where there's a newspaper, and this was his perfectionism. Um, he there was a newspaper that he ripped and danced on and so forth. He found just the right year of newspaper, just the right newspaper exactly that would make the perfect sound. And he sent someone out to go get it. I think it was like a, this was fifty. It was like a forty five in nineteen forty four nineteen forty five copy of whatever magazine. Mm-hmm. So he sent a poor prop boy, a prop boy out to find the per, <laughs> this magazine that he or not magazine I should have said newspaper. Um, Poor prop boy to go find this newspaper that would make the perfect sound for his dance, right. and and then he does this amazing dance number. Which you know, the thing about it is, it looks like he just made it up on the spot, and no dance number is made up on the spot. But it's just perfectly done. But he did this movie because of his friendship and his love, um, platonic love, but love for. Judy Garland. And I guess this kind of connects to An American Paris because who directed An American in Paris? Vincent Minnelli, who is Judy Garland's husband. Mm-hmm. So I guess I kind of connected it to the movie we're discussing. And wasn't he, he like, wasn't, I feel like I read that he, maybe because of the divorce, so Judy Garland or something was unavailable for some of the filming of this or was he involved mm-hmm. in another project? They got divorced during this and um, during right. An American Paris, they were getting a divorce. And so Gene Kelly... Um, took over as director. Right. And probably Stanley Donan too. Um, Stanley Donan was his assistant. And I don't know if you know much about him. Do you know much about Stanley Donan? The name is super familiar. (laughs) All right. He was Gene Kelly's assistant. There's this other number, and I could talk about Gene Kelly numbers all day long if we had (laughs) another four hours. Um, There's another number he did in a movie called For Me and My Gal, which which stars Rita Hayworth along with Gene Kelly. And in this, he dances. It's called the, um, all it's called, um, I don't remember what the dance is called, but it's him dancing with himself. Um, he sees his, um, he sees his reflection in the window and just starts dancing with his reflection. So it's him. So, um, so it's him dancing the whole time just with himself in this one dance number, which, you know, this was 1940. Four-ish. I don't remember off the top of my head. That's pretty impressive for like 1944. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, pretty impressive graphics and all that. So he did that, and and there's a story about Stanley Donan. He was the one that really made that work. But he, Kelly. So because of their genius together, they were able to make that work. 
Um, Stanley Donen and Gene Kelly both directed Singing in the Rain. They were co-directors on Singing in the Rain. And um, on the town too, right? And in on the town, yes, which was uh, yeah. 1949. Yeah, yeah, they were also co-directors in for On the Town, which is also another great movie as well. And so they, as they went a little bit further, they stopped getting along. Um, Gene Kelly, I mean, with Stanley Donen, I think a lot of it was um, jealousy because Stanley Donen was working hard as co-director and working with Gene Kelly. But who do you think got all the praise? The, the person, person on screen, I would assume. <laughs> yeah, the, the person that they see um, in the movie theater, you know, yep. larger than life. And so they went, so he got all the praise. And G, I, I defended Gene Kelly earlier. He does have, he can, does have sardonic wit. He is someone who probably, he's someone who can put you down when you probably don't deserve it. He did have that ability to. So he probably did say comments that also made Stanley Donen um, feel like he wasn't an equal. Um, but so they kind of went their separate ways. Stanley Donen, he um, directed um, Seven Brides for Seven Brothers, oh. which is in the mid fifties. He was the sole, he was the sole director of that. And after that, he and Gene Kelly directed another movie together called um, what's the, what's the movie called? Um, called It's Always Fair Weather, and that that movie actually has my favorite Gene Kelly dance because he dances on roller skates, which is just he like skates and then he just does a tap dance on roller skates, and I have no idea how he does it. But <laughs> but that movie um, was also, I believe, co-directed by Donnan and. Gene Kelly, and that was the last thing they ever did together. That was just not a happy set, um, and it was it, it was originally going to be a movie that Gene Kelly was with Frank Sinatra and Jules Munchen, um, who were both in On the Town with him, and then in another movie called Take Me After the Ball Game. So it was like going to be the third in that kind of those three guys trilogies, if you will. Um, mm. But by that time, Frank Sinatra he. he in Gene Kelly movies, Frank Sinatra always played one character. And it was he's he was in three movies with him. And it was always a character who didn't understand women, who were who was shy, um, who kind of had to take a backseat to Gene Kelly, who was the womanizer in the movies. By the mid-50s, Frank Sinatra did not want to play that character anymore. I mean, he he had already been married to Ava Gardner. He had already yeah. had all these women that he was with. Um, so he was like, he, there was no way he was going to go back in time to the role he played in 19th, this guy who was scared of women. Um, so it ended up being a couple of different actors. But Stanley Don and he, um, Gene Kelly and Stanley Don, I don't think ever really, ever really spoke again after that. Um, they had such a good partnership. But Stanley Don and even after Gene Kelly died, up until his Stanley Donen's like last few years, he would talk negatively about Gene Kelly. Like it was just whatever happened was just so big that he couldn't be passed. Gene Kelly never really talked badly about um, Donen, but he up until the day, up until like a few years before he died, he would still talk negatively about Gene Kelly for the most part. Mm -hmm. about how it ended and just never repaired itself. But, but I'm, yeah, I'm curious, 
I'm curious because yeah. you, you were mentioning about young actresses being taken advantage of stuff. Obviously, today we live in a much more regulated, like everything. It, it, everybody's facing the consequences for behavior on set in the industry. There's like a big reckoning for, for you know, uh, that kind of behavior. Is that something that, how do you square that when you obviously have admiration for someone like Gene Kelly? And clearly there's these ongoing difficulties on set, even with this one, with Leslie Karen, there was some talk of, mm-hmm. of him kind of putting, you know, putting pressure on her and stuff like that. Does that, is that, do you have difficulty in it ever like separating those two? Or are you like, well, it was a different time. I'm focused on the work. Like, what is your approach to that? Um, and not really, not exactly. Um, with Gene Kelly, he, the difficulties they had with Gene Kelly was usually more or less about how well they could do the dancing. Right. About we need to do better. We need to keep working and do better. And that's different to me than like sexual harassment. Absolutely. Um, Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I'm sure anybody else's. As far as I know, he he was never um, he, he, there was never really anything about sexual harassment um, involved or, or anything about him going over the line. There was something I said I saw with Singing in the Rain um, that the last, and I don't remember if you talked about this or not in your podcast, but the last kiss that they had that he stuck his tongue down Debbie Reynolds' throat. Mm-hmm. Um, I have never heard, I've never seen anything about Debbie Reynolds saying that. Um, I've always heard of it. Hey, oh, this is a rumor that this happened. Um, I mean, while watching it, it doesn't look like his throat, his tongue is down her throat. <laughs> um, if right. that turns out to be true, then that is completely different. Um, yeah. Him being a perfectionist, while it's grueling and annoying, um, it does not um, constitute vitriol like him harassing his female um, stars um, or like in Singing of the Rain he yelled at Donald O'Connor about getting one of his steps wrong or mm-hmm. about doing something right doing something wrong when Donald O'Connor had done nothing wrong and afterwards Donald O'Connor talked O'Connor talked to him and he said actually um, Debbie Debbie messed up but I knew that if she would cr- if I would yell at her she might start crying or she would have a different reaction than you would and I think mm-hmm. O'Connor said something like, okay, that's fine, but if you do that again, I'm going to punch you in the face, those type of um, um, things. And, but he, but so he would, yeah, he would have this perfectionism about him, um, which is completely different than um, stepping over a line or mm-hmm. doing drugs. As far, as far as one thing about him is that he was a great family man. Um, there, was, there was never anything about him cheating on any of his wives, never any rumors about any of that and speaking of with stanley donnan there is kind of incestuous as we talk about wives because stanley um gene kelly's second wife was stanley donnan's first wife um which also might go and then and then betsy blair who was gene kelly's first wife um apparently stanley donnan they never married but was in love with betsy blair so they were like in love with each other's wives at one point oh wow um, but but there's never any rumors about Gene Kelly cheating on any of his wives. His second wife, which was Stanley Donnan's first wife, I can't remember her name off the top of my head, died in 71 or 72, I think, from leukemia. And he stopped acting and or only took jobs close to where they lived so he could take care of his kids, kind of like what Rick Moranis did. Yeah. He quit acting or um, stayed away from acting. Um, so 
as far as I know, all the negativity about Gene Kelly is about him wanting his stuff to be perfect, the dances to be perfect. Arthur Freed, who's the producer of this um, of this movie, and also or Arthur Freed, who was the producer of Singing in the Rain, I should say, not this movie. He produced Singing in the Rain. Um, he also wrote the songs for Singing in the Rain. He was a songwriter in like the 20s. And so the majority, Singing in the Rain is the first jukebox musical. Because mm-hmm. because they're all, other than other than uh, Make Him Laugh, which is actually Be a Clown, which is just a rewrite of Be a Clown, which um, who uh, when he wrote it, didn't notice at the time. Um, they... All the, mo- all the songs in that were previously written. So t- to me, Singing in the Rain more or less is a jukebox musical. We just don't necessarily call it that. And Arthur Freed had written all those songs. He is someone who did have issues with sexual harassment. Um, Shirley Temple came out in, I mean, she I think recently died, but like 20 years ago. Um, she said that she went into um, his office for some type of an audition or um, rehearsal, I think it was an audition, and she came out crying because he tried, I don't know if he, um, I don't know if he, um, but he, he sexually harassed her in some way. I don't remember exactly what happened, but he was somebody, I, I, think, he, I, think, he, I think he exposed himself to her. So he, he sexually harassed her. Um, so he is someone that in the 30s, 40s, it was more, it, 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 those things, those awful things happened more right. often than especially 2023. Um, it's pathetic how long it took for those things to, like the Me Too movement is what it took for people to stop doing that. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Which that was not that long ago because it's, it's, there's just a lot of grossness in the movie industry <laughs> with, mm-hmm. with certain people. Um <laughs> But yeah, but like, so he was one of those. But as far as I know, Gene Kelly was never, nothing has ever come out about him doing anything sexually improper, right. um, which I mean, if there was, I am somebody who would be like, I'm, I'm done with him. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, but, but as far as I know, there hasn't. So as long as his um, negativity is about his perfectionism, I am okay. I am okay with um, wrestling with the two and keeping it like that. Yeah. No, the the way the way that you're, you're describing his sort of uh, worth ethic and and perfectionism and all of that, it sounds I guess like a 2023 equivalent would be like Tom Cruise on Top Gun Maverick. Like, no, we're all mm-hmm. going to do this. We're going to reshoot that whole thing again. And, you know, the thing that leaked on, I think, the Mission Impossible set where he's all yelling at everyone because there was like a COVID outbreak and they oh, or whatever. Yes. Uh, things like yeah. that. Like, it's more like it's not it's generalized. Hey everybody, let's get get your stuff together. Not you know sp- yeah. specifically targeting uh, certain yeah. individuals. Yeah, I think like the Leslie thing Corona, is, yeah, Leslie, yeah Leslie Corona is actually still alive, um, which I looked that up. I was for some reason surprised. She was nineteen, so I mean she wasn't that old when she was in this, but right. she's still alive. And I looked up just to see what's got what she has said, and she has spoken. That's good. Um, so even though it was perfection, him being per- a perfectionist, it wasn't anything that crossed the line to make her think negatively on him or at least speak right. negatively about him. And Debbie Reynolds was the same way. Like she would always say the two hardest things in her life were childbirth and singing in the rain. <laughs> but even though she would say that she still yeah. spoke glowingly of Gene Kelly. Yeah. Yeah. It's, yeah, that makes sense. Uh, speaking of the sort of supporting cast, I really like, is it Caron or I always said Leslie Karen, but I guess it, I think it's Leslie Caron. 
Okay, we'll go with that. Leslie Leslie Caron, her film debut here. I, I think she's she's actually really uh, really magnetic in this. I also we talked about Oscar Levant, and mm-hmm. uh, we didn't mention Georges Gutierrez. Gutierrez, I forget how. I, yeah, I'm not a hundred. <laughs> right before we got on, I kept thinking I have no idea how to say his name. Guterri, I'm gonna say. Guterri, I'm gonna probably that because he's obviously yeah. uh, French. So, uh, and Nina Folk as as Milo. Yeah. I the, really strong uh, supporting cast. I think across the board too. Yeah, and the interesting thing is George Guterri is actually three years younger than Gene Kelly is, mm. and who plays Henri Burrell. But right. he, um, but they dyed his hair and made him look older because he's supposed to be, because Maurice Chevalier was originally, they wanted him for the role. And Maurice oh, wow. Chevalier was by that time in his 50s. Yeah. So it would have made a little bit more sense. But um, Guterri, they, he was actually three years younger than Gene Kelly was when they made this film. I, I love that. Speaking of those three, uh, Adam and Jerry Mulligan and uh, Henri, I love how the, the movie starts out sort of being about friendship. He's like, oh yeah, mm-hmm. I've been in Paris. I have lots of good friends. And then the the sort of, I, I had never seen a movie where this has happened quite this way before. The sort of voiceover handoff that keeps happening. I thought that was really, that was really fun where Jerry starts talking and then it like, He's like, oh, and there's my friend, Adam. He's like, yeah, that's me. <laughs> this is where I live. This is my whole deal. I thought that was so cool. And I loved how they were talking. They were the voice of the camera. Because yeah. when Henri says, um, this is me, and he said, oh, I'm not that young, because he knew <laughs> that whoever they were showing in the camera, in the mirror, was like a kid. Right. So, yeah, yeah I, 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 I think that's a nice way to kind of open up who these people are. Yeah, you get Definitely. the sort of uh, the vibe of of this movie just right out the gate. You know, it's a very romanticized vision of Paris as of being the sort of artistic epicenter, and uh, everybody's sitting down and having coffee and and meeting in that cafe and and all of that. I thought was was super cool. Have you ever been to Paris? And like, if not, did this did this movie like make you want to go? Because I, I there's so many movies that depicted this way and i don't know how close mm-hmm. that is the rea- to the reality but as a creative artistic person myself i'm like man that would just be a cool place to just go and hang oh, out i would love to i would love to go i've never been to any other country except for mexico okay and i think i was doing a mission trip when i was like in youth when i was in high school um but yeah i would love to go one and the thing um this is one of those movies that gene kelly really wanted to go to paris to film mm-hmm. obviously the budget didn't allow that at that time. But this is one of two movies that Gene Kelly wanted to go there to film. The second movie was Brigadoon. He wanted to go to where they where Brigadoon was supposed to take, to take place and film there. And they just they were like, no, we can do it on the back lot, just like this. Um, I think this movie, it doesn't really hurt as much. Um, yeah. Brigadoon, I, that's one of the huge reasons that that movie bombed, in my opinion, because it lo- the... I, that's one. That, I, that's one of my favorite Gene Kelly movies, actually, too. And the um, the setting and everything that's there, just the trees and all that stuff, just look fake. Mm-hmm. Um, but here, it didn't really hinder the film as much as it did in that movie. Yeah, yeah he wanted to film at least part, at least part of it, or some of it in Paris. 
Yeah, I, I think they do a good job getting the sort of the spirit of the city in mm-hmm. there. I think uh, so. Just I, I don't know if it's the the sets that they you know the set decoration. I think they were nominated or or even won the Oscar for that as well. Uh, or or if it's just the music selection. Just it it it, it feels like your uh, it feels like a travel log kind of movie in a way, even though you don't see much of the city, uh, as you were saying. Definitely, yeah, yeah. It's it's definitely a movie that. See, well, it makes me wish that I could paint is one of them. <laughs> well, and yeah, then that it makes too. me want to go to Paris. I, I want to be able to paint and go to Paris. So it, it makes me <laughs> want two things. And find some rich person who will be like, hey, we're going to give you a show in three months. I'm like, oh, wow. That, was, <laughs> that as well. That was easy. <laughs> yeah. Um, now, yeah, you mentioned jukebox musicals earlier. Uh, and that's the thing I think a lot of people forget or don't realize about Singing in the Rain. Mm-hmm. That, that that was the case. There's a, I don't know if you've seen, it's a very different movie than these, but it kind of gets into the singing in the rain uh, role in, in Hollywood history and also the kind of dark underbelly of Hollywood is the movie Babylon, uh, where there's this, they, they reenact that sequence in that movie with all the, the movie stars uh, um, singing um, uh, All I Do Is Dream Of You the whole night through, that, okay. that's, that number. And uh, at the end of the movie, it's sort of, they show bits and pieces of singing in the rain. It's sort of one of the characters watching it, watching singing in the rain is, has, has been working in the industry and he's like, you know, noticing all the different bits from his life, his experience working in Hollywood that like inspired bits from singing in the rain. It's a fictional movie, but it's, it touches on a lot of this and feels sort of spiritually linked to a lot of the things we're talking about. Uh, but yeah, that, that song was not specifically for that movie. Uh, and also here, this is just a lot of George Gershwin uh, music. Mm-hmm. It sort of Definitely. kind of just popped in here with an American in Paris, the ballet as the centerpiece. And then, you know, sort of using his existing songs uh, yeah. to, to and, tell that and story. They, and they really only wanted like the ballet music. That's what they wanted. So they asked Ira who George Gershman had died by that time. Um, he had passed away, I think in the thirties. Ira Gershman was his brother who, because they were a songwriting team, Ira and George Gershman. And they, um, and so they asked, can we use that? And he said, only if you used more of our catalog, only if like the, our catalog is the movie. And so that's why they did. And that, that's one of the reasons Oscar Levant was actually in the movie and had this part was that he was a friend of the Gershwins. Um, so they, so that, yeah, so they, um, and really a lot of the Gershwins music, this is the first time I'd heard watching this movie when I first watched it is the first time I'd heard of most of these songs, mm-hmm. except for the, I've got rhythm. number. I already knew wow. that one. Yeah, but like Swonderful and the Tralala, I ha- I've never heard um, the um, Tralala song. I haven't heard that in anything except this movie. Um, Swonderful, I've heard because there's another movie called Funny Face, which is um, Fred Astaire and Audrey Hepburn, and they sing and they sing all Gershwin songs. Um, so like this Swonderful is, is actually yeah. a song that is sung in that movie as well, but. But yeah, I this was this movie was the first time I'd ever heard the majority of these songs. Yeah, and that makes sense. Uh, that that Ira Gershwin would be like, "Well, make it, you know, have have it be our music then. Like, give us, let us get credit for songs by uh, George and Ira Gershwin, as opposed to mm-hmm. it's throwing our ballet in a sea of original music, and then people be like, oh, just assume that it was all done by the same people. That makes a lot of sense. I think that that was mm-hmm. a, that was a smart move on his part." Oh yeah, definitely. They, pro- they probably gave, and they also probably got more money 
because they gave, they gave Ira Gershwin more money, I'm sure, because they used more of his songs. Wow. So, so obviously, you know, you have a, an inherent love for uh, movie musicals. Was this one of the early ones for you? Was this one of your entry points into the genre? Or was this you were already like kind of on the ride at that point? It was definitely my entry point. And really probably Gene Kelly, because like when I was in high school, I really got into Gene Kelly. And I got into his movies way before I got I watched Fred Astaire or any other um, movie musicals. So I would say probably it was second or third on the list. Um, the first like three or four movies I watched were obviously Singing in the Rain. I had already loved that. Then I started renting movies after that just because I was like, I need to see more of Gene Kelly. And so it was An American Paris on the town. I think I just looked up what are his like Gene Kelly's best movies because <laughs> there yeah. are lists for everything. Um, and even in the late nineties, you can still look stuff up like that. So I looked up Gene Kelly's best movies and it was always singing in the rain An American in Paris and on the town, which all three of those movies are the only movies in Gene Kelly's catalog of movie musicals where he does, uh, some type of a dream ballet sequence. Cause all three of those movies have that. Which um, On the Town was in 49, this was in 51, and Singing in the Rain was in 52. On the Town, he did a sequence called A Day in New York. Have you ever seen On the Town? I have not. I have not seen that one. No. Uh, it's I feel like I'm going to have to now. It's a complete uh, trilogy. It's, it's a great movie. It's it's with um, Frank Sinatra and Jules Munchen. He, and they actually did – it's interesting because they did On the Town the same year as another movie musical called Take Me Out to the Ball Game. And – like four of the same actors are exactly the same. Gene Kelly, Frank, Frank Sinatra, and Jules Munchen are the main three guys in both of those movies that they made the exact same year. And they basically play the same characters in both movies. And then um, Betty Garrett is one of, is the is the woman that falls in love with Frank Sinatra. And she plays Frank Sinatra's love interest in both of those movies. So it's yeah. interesting that the same year they just use like four of the same people. But on the town ends with uh or kind of near the end it has a broadway ballet that is called um well it's a ballet that's called a day in new york and it's him and gene, gene kelly and vera ellen are the two main the, the the love interest in this movie and vera ellen for those who are listening is um in white christmas is the one that falls in love with um with denny case character in white christmas Right. If, you've, if you've seen White Christmas. But Vera Ellen um, is the only other lead that dances because she is a trained dancer. Obviously, they, they have the other characters, but they're played by actual dancers because Frank Sinatra, um, he tried his best and he kept up with Gene Kelly somewhat. He's not a dancer. So they had actual trained dancers other than Gene Kelly and Vera Ellen. And so that's a, that's a ballet. Then in 51, was in American Paris, they did the 17-minute just spectacle is what it basically was. And then obviously in Singing in the Rain, they did the Broadway ballet. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, so those are the three movies that um, his three most popular. If you ask anybody, like, give me three Gene Kelly movies. Um, I don't know why you would ask random people that, but if you did, um, <laughs> those would be the three that would come up more often than not. And all three of them have some type of a ballet dream sequence, which I mean, as a kid, I loved this movie. Um, or I loved singing in the rain when I was really little. I'm pretty sure I skipped the ballet dance sequence most times as a child. 
Mm-hmm. I think it was. I think it was until was it until college that that I continued watching it because as a ch- in a, as a child I loved the tap numbers. Um, so like an American in Paris, even when I was in high school, the tap numbers part of the seventeen minute ballet um, or the sequence, the tap numbers still to this day are my favorite part of that ballet. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, because the tap number. I mean, as a kid, that was what excited me: the tapping. Um, but Fred Astaire was actually thought of um, to be in this movie. They had thought um, they thought about asking Fred Astaire, but because he wasn't trained in ballet or trained in the jazz dancing, he was purely tap and ballroom. Um, they did not. They went for Gene Kelly instead. Hmm. Interesting. But um, but yeah, but it, it's interesting that these are these three movies, which are by far his three most popular, the ones people know. Um, are the ones that have this that these ballets in them? How how I because I, I I feel a little, I'm sort of mixed on those sequences because I'm sort of I'm kind of both sides of what you're saying. On the one hand, I'm it's amazing spectacle and it has, as a separate sequence, I think it it works. It's it's beautifully choreographed and and staged and and the, the you know the set design around him and everything. Uh, but and in the momentum of the movie, it, it does the those stories do come to a sort of screeching halt for 15, 20 minutes. What mm-hmm. what is your reaction to that now? How do you reconcile those two things? And how much does the film's success, I guess in this case, hinge on the inclusion of that sequence at the end? I think for an American Paris, um, it definitely hinges on it. I think they needed this. I don't think this would have become what it became if it didn't have that 17-minute ballet sequence. Mm-hmm. The interesting thought with an American in Paris is really that out of all out of those three movies that have that sequence, those sequences, those dreamlike sequences, this one is an American in Paris is the only movie that it's at the very end. Yeah. It is at like, I mean, you could have them drive off. And then come back, which that's one thing I kind of, I kind of feel like it's a quick ending because obviously you do this great ballet and then they come back and Henri just watches her go up to Jerry Mulligan and it's like, okay, it's over. That's that's what happened. Um, I was waiting for some kind of an exchange with Henri and Jerry, (laughs) like, I don't know, something like say something to him. Don't just be like, well, I'm out. Bye. movie. I've watched this movie so many times and I'm still waiting for an exchange. I yeah. I feel like it's kind of an abrupt ending, which I still love the movie. I feel like the ending's a little abrupt. The last 20 minutes of the movie, I mean, 17 minutes are of a ballet, but the last 20 minutes or so, there's no talking whatsoever. Yeah. I mean, there's just absolutely no talking. Um, I feel like after, the, after that 17 minutes, there needs to be some just – Talking, I I don't a know coda exactly what to the, it is, to the but it feels every yeah. time I watch it. Yeah. Um, the and the Broadway ballet one in Singing of the Rain is a little different because I feel like this one. I feel like all three of them are different to an extent. I feel mm. like the one in an American Paris is kind of a part of the story. Yeah, it I agree with starts that. with him picking up the rose and kind of goes through his thoughts about what is going on. It's more a part of the story. Singing of the Rain is all about this is the this is the movie we are going to make. Let's tell you, let's tell RF 
um, R.F. Simpson about, let me, let us tell you about this movie we want to make, because that's what they are, movie makers. Mm. And they're trying to figure out how to basically turn this um, this horrible movie where the sound was not working and Lena Momoth's voice is horrible into something amazing, some, a great movie. And so that's what the whole dream sequence is, is this is the movie. This is, this is when it's going to be this hoofer who's, go, who's walking down and blah, 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 blah. So that's not really a part of the story. It's kind of like there's this movie we want to make. So it's a little bit different than An American in Paris, where I think An American in Paris is – this is happening. Um, obviously, it did not happen. I mean, it's hard to say that 17 minutes, I mean, um, fully happened um, in the movie um, as a part of the movie and um, as a part of the plot. But it's more a part of the plot um, ab- about what's going on than Singing in the Rain is. And on the town, what he's thinking about, that movie, um, that um, ballet sequence is actually about what has happened in the past. Because what happens is... The three sailors are on leave for 24 hours. So they have 24 hours to um, be in New York. And so they're on leave for 24 hours. They obviously, they're, they're in New York for 24 hours. They want to they want to find a girl, basically, is what all three of them want. They're like, okay, we want to find someone. We want to have some fun um, today in New York. So Gene Kelly's character, um, Gabe, he finds... I believe his name is Gabe. He finds um, he sees a poster of someone named Miss Turnstiles, and he thinks Miss Turnstiles is somebody super awesome, is super important. I mean, she's on a poster on the subway. I got he does find her. He sings obviously he sings and dances with her, and then they're they're basically in love after they sing and dance in, um, for one song, like they did like they did in the movie musicals. Um, yeah. So then they then they go off, and then she has to leave. Uh, Vera Ellen's character has Ivy is her name. She has to leave, and he's really upset about that. Blah 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 blah. That's 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 what has happened in the past. Um, there's some more. Obviously, that's just a very minute amount of what happened. But he, uh, but the dance, the ballet dance number is all about what has happened. It shows him finding her, or not finding her, but them dancing. Them then they're all dancing with women, and then all of a sudden. Like whatever time that she had to leave pops up in the corner and then hit the the Vera, Vera Ellen in the dance. She leaves. They start like doing something else. But it's all about what has happened in the past. Mm. So that one is about what has happened in the past. And American in Paris is basically what is happening right now. And then Singing in the Rain is its own little thing and is this is a movie that we want to make. So they all, even though they're all ballets, they kind of serve different purposes. I think to to your point, I do think that this last 20 minutes of this movie is a testament to visual storytelling. And I did appreciate mm-hmm. the fact that it was sort of uh, him reflecting on, you know, losing what he perceived to be the love of his life. And, you know, what would it have been like to be with her? And what is it going to, what is the That's reality right. going to be like now to experience Paris without her? And then, you know, we, you mentioned La La Land earlier, very similar kind of seven and a half minute uh, sequence in there where they're sort of imagining what if we ended up together? What if we stayed together? What would our life had been like? And then, you know, kind of cut back to the reality of it all uh, here. It, here it's a happy ending, but in there it's, it's, you know, mm-hmm. it's a, a very different result. So I, I did appreciate that part of it. And the, 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 you know, the little touches, like you said, with the rose, starting with the rose and then ending with the rose and all of that, mm-hmm. like, uh, 
yeah, it's just it's 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 a very different approach that he takes to like a lot of movie musicals having an extended dance only sequence. Yeah, and this ballet sequence, I talked earlier about Judy Garland and her being sick is what hap- what made this dance happen in Summerstock. Um, Nina Foch, folk. I don't know how to say her last name. Um, yeah, I went <laughs> with Foch. I don't know. Um, Nina, she um, actually got chickenpox, um, and I heard her. I I'm just such a Gene Kelly nut on the An American in Paris D, um, DVD that I have, which I haven't seen the DVD in a while. I watched this time. I watched it on HBO Max. If anybody wants to watch it, but I on the DVD I have of it. There's also just a like a Gene Kelly type of. Kind of a behind the scenes of just Gene Kelly in general. It's about Gene Kelly's life type of thing. And they would talk with actors and actresses from movie season. And um, Nina Folk, she mentions that she had chicken pox. And she said that she thinks she got it from one of the kids in the um, in, in the scene that, where he dances with the kids. Um, yeah. and she, and she said, I wasn't in that scene, but I was on the outside. I was on set. So I got <laughs> chicken box from them. Um, they got rhythm. Anyway, she, she got chicken pox. Yeah, yeah. They got rhythm. She's got chicken boxes. It all, <laughs> it all works together. Um, yeah. but so, but she had to be gone for like three or four days. And that is actually when they conceived the ballet sequence uh, was because she couldn't film. And they didn't, and everybody else that they could film around her, they'd done their stuff already. So it gave them three days to be like, okay, how are we going to do this? So it, it allowed them time to be able to um, work out the 17 minute ballet sequence. Yeah. I love, I love stories like that where it's a, you know, some kind of difficulty or challenge and they find a creative solution and it ends up drastically changing the, the result. I, I love that. It's so fun. Yeah. Yeah, and you, and you mentioned um, well w- earlier. I I had mentioned that um, they fell in love and on the town so quickly. I am always kind of thrown on how quickly um, Lisa um, or Lee's how quickly she hates Jerry Mulligan to <laughs> smiling and laughing with them. I know, <laughs> like that's like- quite a turn she made. <laughs> First of all, this is a very 1950s approach to courtship. <laughs> hey, you, come dance with me. I don't want to go out with you. Okay, what's your phone number? Cool, I'll show up at your job. Come out with me. Yes. I don't want to. Go out with me, and then I'll leave you alone. Probably not really. And she's like, fine. You're and, awesome. And I, then it I'm takes in love with you too. Like, just being okay. silly, because he was like silly yeah. for a split second. She laughed at him and said, okay, I'll go out with you. Yeah, that's it. That's all you need. I mean, <laughs> normally I'd be like, "How can, come on, girl, you can do better than that. But Gene Kelly is very, is very charming. So I'm like, oh, that, that would probably work for Gene Kelly, honestly, even now. So I, mean, I, I, could, I could definitely understand. Could definitely understand. I'm glad we're getting into sort of the love story element of it, too, because obviously there's a lot, of, a lot of dancing and a lot of singing in this. But there's also sort of this love quadrangle kind of happening. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it... it but really, it's really a triangle, and poor Milo is just like, "Hey, Jerry, what about me?" It's like, uh, um, what, "What do you? How, what do you? You know, how much of that is that something that appeals to you generally? Do you are you really into comedies of errors and misunderstandings, and so and so knows that so you know the kind of classic rom com tropes because there's so much of that here, and then yeah. you get Adam as sort of the the audience surrogate being like, oh boy, <laughs> this is going to go bad very soon. I I was thinking about this earlier, and I love just the movie trope of two people talking about the same person, but they yeah. don't know it. 
except for Adam or the audience who kind of knows what's going on. I enjoy just I, I always enjoy that trope. Um, sometimes it can feel a little contrived, mm-hmm. but I I think it works in this movie. I think it definitely yeah. works in this movie. Um, and Adam, like Oscar Levant, is just so sarcastic. Like he's the perfect character for this movie because he's just so sarcastic, and he has humor, but not the like we talked earlier, not the same type of humor as like O'Connor. Right. And singing in the rain, um, but it just fits his character perfectly. Yeah, and I, I, I enjoy it. Yeah, I think it's I think it's fun. It's fun to see those sort of things play out. Uh, one thing that I did that did stick out to me uh, watching the film was I feel like the movie made a tipped its hand a little bit too early with Lise because you do see her dancing uh, when Henri and Adam are talking, and he's like, "Oh, what's she like? Oh, she's you know mm-hmm. all these different things that we see like different styles of dance, which was a really great sequence." Uh, and and really good, you know, uh, showcase for for Leslie Caron's uh, skill set there. But yeah. also, I feel like it gives away that when Jerry sees her, I'm like, oh, that's that's Lise from the little the little bubbles over Adam and uh, Henri's head, basically. So I, mm-hmm. I almost feel like maybe that conversation with Henri and Adam should have happened after we saw her, so that then we're like, oh my gosh, I see where this is going. You know, what? Yeah. that's my only I, note. I think really for that. I would agree with you because also I feel like that would put give us put the whole thing in more in better context. Um, if we see her, because like just seeing her dancing, we I don't know we we don't really know who she, even though he's explain it's hard to say he's explaining what she's like and and all that stuff. He's just saying that she's happy, but she's also serious. We still don't really know her personality. Mm-hmm. I think having that. Um, meet up with Jerry Mulligan um, at the cafe or wherever they went. Um, I think be that being first would, I, I would agree that they definitely showed their hand a little too soon. Um, it's hard now because I've seen the movie so many times. Well, yeah. um, I felt like I need to watch it again for the first time. I really realize that, but I, I definitely mentioned that, but yeah, they show their hand a little early in the film. You're, yeah. Well, obviously, if people haven't figured about it by now, this was the first time watch for me. Uh, and I think that's part of the reason I picked it, because a lot of the mm-hmm. the musicals that I'm covering uh, on Close Watch this year, obviously, huge fan of Little Shop of Horrors and In the Heights. And I have some other ones coming up that I, I've seen mm-hmm. a million times. So it's fun to, to throw one in there. And like I said at the top of the show, Gene Kelly, like I feel like it would have been I would have been remiss not to have a Gene Kelly in there somewhere. Mm-hmm. Uh, is there oh, a yeah. song or performance in this in this movie that stands out to you the most? I think you you mentioned Tra La La. It's probably that. I, that's probably my favorite number. Yeah. Um, I think it's so much fun, him dancing on the piano. Just, you can tell, you can see the joy in his face. Absolutely. During that song. And it just makes me so happy to watch that. The, um, I've got a rhythm number. I like that number because it's him dancing with kids. And he always said um, that he, he loved dancing with children because, honestly, because, um, the unexpected can happen. So like, cause like, so I think it kept him on his toes because mm-hmm. when it's children, they're not, he, he was not as hard on the children about being perfectionist right. as he was on other adults, um, That's as good. you probably <laughs> would assume. Um, and he loved working with children because they would do the unexpected and he would have to work against with what they're doing. Right. Um, like I think one of the kids said, I got a little bit too early. And I'm pretty sure, um, because you can see, um, I don't know if you had noticed that, but he said, I got, 
And Gene Kelly just kind of looks at him as he continues singing. <laughs> cannot stop from laughing. He's just <laughs> laughing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But they just continue to go with it. Um, so that one. And then I love this wonderful. I, I, I like that whole scene with Henri and them singing together. Um, so, yeah, I, I like really those three numbers are if I look up Gene Kelly numbers, those three are going to be one, three of the ones that I do or that I look up. Um, another one of him um, dancing with a kid, which isn't in this movie. And I told you, I could talk about Gene Kelly for hours. Um, yeah. He is in he is in a movie called Anchors Away, which is, which is, that is a movie that's like two hours and like 15 minutes or something. And it's a good movie, but it's still about 30 minutes too long. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know how many times, I enjoy it, but I feel like it, it goes way too long. But he's with Frank Sinatra in it. And there's one whole dance number where he just dances with one kid the whole time. And you can tell the the joy that they have together dancing because he enjoys working. I mean, he started out as a dance teacher before yeah. he was on Broadway. Um, he 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 has he had they had their own studio that eventually became the Gene Kelly studio. Um, but they but so he started out teaching children, teaching kids. He, so that's one reason he just loved doing that as he continued on into movies. But yeah, those three numbers are probably my favorite from this movie. Yeah. I really love all the, uh, I really love our, our love is here to stay as well. You mentioned mm-hmm. this wonderful. Uh, one thing that I, that I did find really amusing in this movie, you, you know, you mentioned sort of earlier with Fred Astaire, a lot of times he, he, in the musical numbers in his movies, he's playing a character who's performing on a show or whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think a lot of times you sort of get one of two types of m- musicals, right? You get like, you know, they're on a stage singing dream girls or whatever. And a lot of those numbers are just people on stage performing for other people, or my emotions are so big. I can't contain it. I sing it, but the world around me is either gets sucked into it or it's completely oblivious to the fact that I'm singing a song about my emotions mm-hmm. and everything. Right. I, and yes. here, I, at least a couple times, he, uh, um, Henri and Jerry especially are singing and the other people are like, Oh, they're doing that thing where they sing again. And they're not really <laughs> sucked into it. And they're not performing on a stage or anything like that. They're, they're, they're just sort of in the breaking into spontaneous song in the middle of the cafe. And they just mm-hmm. let the extras basically react like they're watching a movie, being watch. filmed, which I thought was so fun to just be like, it made it, it made it in a way well, feel more immersive because you're like what if i was at a cafe and gene kelly just started walked up and started singing about his, his yeah. day um, and so i love that beginning because the first time they do at the beginning like that he dances with a couple of the women yes that was and great. that's just fun because like those women i i i mean they might have been great dancers in their day i have no idea but those women do don't seem like dancers i mean one of them's um really old <laughs> And yeah, they don't yeah, seem yeah. like they're going to just go out and start dancing up a storm. Right. But they just, the smiles on their faces. As they're like, they we're dancing that. with Gene and, Kelly. Yeah. Yeah. So I, yeah, I definitely enjoy that because, I mean, I would love to be in a cafe and someone just starts singing like that and dancing. I would exactly. wonder, first, probably wonder if I was being, that would be super fun. Definitely. Yeah. Awesome. And then I think that that older woman that is in the cafe in the first scene, I think yeah. that's the same woman that is watching in I've Got Rhythm. Yeah, it might be, yeah. Because there's so. an older lady like behind the flowers that's like selling those flowers. I think as I was watching um, this movie for this podcast, I think that's the same woman that is actually in, at the beginning. But that's great. I noticed her. 
Yeah, she's like one beaming thing, at, at everything. Yes. One thing this movie does, as I've started um, paying attention to movies and to see if, and this is a, a movie from 1951, so rarely will a movie pass this test, um, but this movie fails the Bechdel test. Not surprised. Which movies I am watching pass or fail the Bechdel test? And for anybody listening, the Bechdel test is basically if it passes, two women have to be talking about something with each other, other about something other than a man. Mm. I mean, if if two women are talking to each other and they're talking about a man, that does not pass. Um, and most of them, and I mean, this movie, there are really only two female characters, um, that, and they're they never talk to each other. So sure. just like any movie from 1951 or before that, it does not pass. I mean, honestly, though, the, the, the first of all, this is a movie from 1951, like you said. If we were grading it based on how it aged well today, we would have a lot more. To, I mean, I kind of briefly went through like the courtship elements of it, how it's like, ooh, yeah. cringe by 2023 standards. But also even the Bechdel test, there's a, an Oscar-nominated movie called Women Talking that I don't even know if that passes the Bechdel test because the whole time <laughs> the women are talking about, you know, the, the crimes that the men have committed in their community. So it's like it's it's not 100% reliable as far as yeah. uh, representation, female representation yeah. on screen. But I mean, in this case, sadly, it, it is kind of, the you know, very male oriented. Yeah. Film, I, I but, mean, this one is hard also, because honestly, right. if this test, if there was an opposite test where the men, two men talking about something other than a woman, I don't know if it would pass that. <laughs> yeah well yeah i mean a lot of the romantic comedies yeah that's true i think there's might be one or two conversations um and um where they might not be talking about a woman but usually they are yeah <laughs> that's, that's basically what the movie is just talking about the other sex it's true it's true yeah it, it, gotta we gotta be fair on both sides with that i guess <laughs> yeah but uh, yeah um so is, you know, obviously we talked a lot about Gene Kelly. We talked about this movie. We talked about him. He's basically his own special effect in this thing. Uh, is there anything specific about this movie that we haven't talked about that you wanted to make sure we mentioned? Um, no, the one thing I found interesting was the Oscar Levant. And one thing that I've always skipped is actually until at least originally that I skipped was the Oscar Levant dream sequence, mm-hmm. uh, which is the piano playing. And um, as as it got older, I've accepted it and enjoyed it for what it is. Um, but that was actually a tribute to Buster Keaton that Oscar Levant did. Um, in the opening sequence of one of Keaton's movies, he plays every role in that. So that's what that was. Um, was, I think, kind of a love note to Buster Keaton. But other than that, I love this movie. Um, obviously it's not my favorite Gene Kelly movie, um, but Singing in the Rain has also been talked to death, uh-huh. um, including, I mean, you've also talked to on this podcast or on oh, your podcast, but it is um, an American in Paris. The other, whenever people think of Gene Kelly, um, people that are younger than a certain, like I'm younger than 40 or younger than a certain age, the movies that they know are Singing in the Rain. When there are movies that are so good that he did. Um, check out On the Town. Check out Brigadoon. Um, check out Cover Girl, which is the alto, which is the um, number where he dances with himself. For me and my gal is the only um, the only movie he did that's actually black and white. That he is his first movie with Judy Garland. So it's a young Gene Kelly and a young Judy Garland in it, and it's super fun. 
check out some of these other movies because he um they all have something great in them and they all should be enjoyed for years to come i always tell um i've always told my wife that the gene kelly knowledge is something that like i have in my head that i'm like waiting for to be playing a trivia game and all of a sudden the filmography of gene kelly becomes comes up um to do questions on because i am prepared for that moment um because and and because I know that I will win, so I'm always yeah. ready for that moment. I mean, there's other stuff I know, like I have a lot of knowledge on the Beatles, but a lot of people have a lot of knowledge on the Beatles. That's true. Like Gene Kelly is the one thing that I'm like, okay, if people that are my age or younger are a part of it, I am prepared for that trivia game. It hasn't come to fruition yet. Well, you got to put a lot of it to use here on this podcast. So <laughs> I, I mean, I think I hope excited. that helps. I, I, I told my my wife, I said, I said, um, I told my wife, Courtney, I said, this is the podcast that I was born for. Um, I like the (laughs) other podcasts we've done, but man, you you get me to talking about Gene Kelly. I am prepared. I could have, there are other movies, Gene Kelly movies, Gene Kelly dances. I could have talked for another hour just on Gene Kelly because I absolutely love the majority of movies that he made. And I and I love I love that he is such a a such a, a you know a pivotal figure for you that it was such so influential and really kind of fueled your interest in film and in musicals in general like I think that's that's really great and it's a testament you know to the, his legacy and mm-hmm. uh, I'm glad that we're we we discussed this movie because it it is so acclaimed and yet kind of underrated these days. Uh, so hopefully people will hear this conversation. Normally I would a- ask you to like sell listeners on this movie, but I mean, you kind of just did that. Other uh, similar movies to check out. If you've seen singing in the rain, if you've seen this one, check out singing in the rain on the town, a bunch of the films we must mentioned during this episode. Uh, and like, like, uh, like Philip said, it's on HBO max, which again is where I saw it as well. Super, super available. Watch the last yeah. of us, I guess, if you're watching that and then jump over to an American parents, just to like, for, that's for a palate cleanser. Completely different. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yeah. A little bit, um, a little bit like of a, of a, a pick me up after, cause I have not been watching the last of us, but I'm here. It's very emotionally taxing. Yeah. So something yeah. like this, which is a little more, uh, a little more uplifting by the end. Yeah. And, and I really wish they would go, I, La La Land was not perfect. Um, I had my some issues with it. It's been a long time since I've seen it. Mm -hmm. But it really reminded me of the MGM movie musical. Absolutely. And I I love movie musicals. I love Broadway. So like in the Heights, I was super excited about that being made into a movie and loved that movie so much. And I love Chicago and all these Broadway plays that are being made into movies. I even love I even love the, the movie version of Phantom of the Opera, mm. and very few people love that um, that movie version, but I sure did. Um, but is the one movie that they made recently where it feels like a movie musical from the '30s and '40s? Yeah, and I wish they would make another one that kind of fits that trope, that kind of works with that, um, rather than just doing Broadway to movies now the broadway shows being made into movies are the big money makers for the most part um are going to make more money than um uh, an actual movie musical like like the ones from the 30s and 40s of course unless you have a big name star like la la land did Um, luckily they had big name stars they were able to push that but i really wish that they would continue down that road because that is one thing that i really 
definitely miss. Um, and American in Paris is actually now a Broadway show. Um, yeah, and I saw that. If, and if you and really, it's hard because I love that movie. That was a Broadway show before it was a movie. So that kind of was because that's a Broadway show and it was Broadway before that. They took away all the songs and replaced them. So it really wasn't the Broadway show, <laughs> but um, <laughs> but but it kind of was. But an American in Paris is one, and I actually haven't seen that. I have Broadway HD. Um, which is a Broadway streaming service, but I have not, and an American version is on that, but I haven't watched it, but that is now a theatrical uh, theater production as the singing in the rain. Both of those are done in theaters all across the country, but yeah, I wish they would make more of the classic MGM movie musicals. That is one thing. I really wish that Hollywood. Yeah. La La Land to your point, I think is, it's sort of a, a, you know, obviously tribute to those old Hollywood musicals, but also bringing it into sort of an indie film sensibility. And mm-hmm. it's like the perfect cross section of those two genres. Yeah. I would also direct people who are, who are, you know, thirsty for something from the 30s and 40s musicals vein uh, uh, to the Apple TV series Schmigadoon, which is obviously yes. a play on Brigadoon. Um, and people haven't seen that. That thing is all over this style of filmmaking and, and but with a modern sort of uh, sense of humor and sort of lightly poking fun at it while also honoring all the tropes of the of those films. Uh, season two premiering, I think, in a few weeks and yeah, it's going to move up to like, was, yeah. Yeah. Season one was all like 40s and 50s musicals. Um, right. I rewatched it like a couple weeks ago just because I was so wanting good. something fun. Um, Ariana DeBose is in it, who is in who was in West Side Story and um, was the bullet in Hamilton. If you watch that, um, Keegan-Michael Key's in it. Aaron Tveit, who's a great Broadway actor, is also um, in it as well. And so it has a lot of really good actors in it. And so that was all the 40s and 50s, Brigadoon, Schmigadoon, and they took tropes from Oklahoma and other ones. The next one, I think, is like season two, I think, is called Schmicago. Yeah. If I'm not mistaken. That's and not, it's that basically right. musicals from the 70s, you know, Chicago. And I'm not, that's the only one I know because it's called Schmicago. Uh, maybe. Yeah, they, they've been very. They've been very cagey on details thus far. Yes. Um, there might be Sweeney Todd elements that came. Sweeney Todd was, I think, believe on Broadway in 1979. Yeah, so I'm hoping there's some of that um, with Angela Lansbury. She originated that on Broadway. Rest in peace, Angela Lansbury. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, so I'm 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 super excited. Apple Apple TV Apple Plus. If you don't have it, they're rocking out shows. Yeah. Between Ted Lasso, Schmigadoon, um, Shrinking is an amazing show. So yeah, yeah. I haven't seen that one yet. That's the one oh, with Harrison so Ford and uh, Jason Segel. Uh, right? Jason Segel. Yeah, oh, it's one of those shows that will make you laugh hysterically, but also make you cry. It's just oh, amazing. It's another Bill Lawrence, and I think um, uh, yeah, Bill Lawrence um, created it, I believe, with Brett Goldstein, Goldstein, who's um, in Ted Lasso, and Jason Segel is one of the creators. So it's, it's, it's really good. But yeah, um, in fact, um, I love Gene Kelly so much, um, kind of bringing back, bring back Gene to it, that in my in our podcast, which I'm sure you were going to give me a chance to talk about yeah, it. Yeah, I know. Um, I realized I'll, as we were talking, as we were getting towards the end of the show, I was like, oh, man, I forgot to give you a chance no, up front for that. I'm just taking over. Um, I hope it's okay. But no, it's fine. Go for it. My podcast, Ultimate Gilmore Girls Movie Night, um, where we talk about movies where they um, – where that then are referenced in Gilmore Girls. 
So the last movie we did was The Omen, because that was referenced in The Gilmore Girls. And and we go basically by season. But in our podcast, I have started a new a segment, which is super fun for me, called Five Degrees or Less of Gene Kelly. And it's basically taking that movie, and it's basically the seven degrees or less of um, Kevin Bacon. But right. I changed it to Five Degrees. Because I wanted to make it more difficult. Yeah. And I start we started it on um there was a movie we did, I don't know if it was Ice Castles. I think it might have been that movie. I don't remember. It's one of the movies where they talk about Hello Dolly, which is a movie musical from the sixties. Okay. That that and and in the podcast I mentioned that Hello Dolly was directed by Gene Kelly. So this and then I and then I like mentioned so this has been five degrees or less of Gene Kelly. And then I made up some stupid theme song and saying it. And obviously I say it that one time. So now whenever we do the five degrees or less of Gene Kelly segment, I pop it out. I saved just that bit of me singing the theme song and put it at the beginning of each one. Um, so like the omen was, um, if, if you have not seen the omen, it has Gregory Peck is the main male um, lead in that. And so I, so I said, okay, Gregory Peck, he is in the omen. He is also in Roman Holiday with Audrey Hepburn. So that's one degree. Audrey Hepburn is in Funny Face with Fred Astaire. And Fred Astaire is in a movie called Ziegfeld Follies. So it's like, okay, th- this was three degrees of Gene Kelly. So I um, love Gene Kelly. So it also gives me an excuse to talk about Gene Kelly in every podcast we do, much to my yeah. wife's chagrin, even though she likes Gene <laughs> Kelly, but I don't know if she likes him that much. Not the same um, exact, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but but I do that in every podcast as well. And I've been successful in every one so far. Um, even like we did um, Heathers, which was, you know, an 80s movie by an actor who I want has been. The later the movie is, the harder obviously it is. But half the time it's just, okay, I'm, this is a movie from 92. I'll figure out who the oldest actor is that is in that movie. <laughs> and I'll probably be able to get him to Gene Kelly. Yeah, there you Because go. of my love of Gene Kelly. Yeah, that's awesome. I love it. It's the legacy of Gene Kelly. You're keeping it alive. One podcast episode <laughs> on a time. No, and it, and it and it says a lot about how uh, how omnipresent he was in the industry for so long that you're able mm-hmm. to to pretty much trace everyone back to him uh, in one way or another. So I, yeah, and he, and he was in some good non musicals as well. He was in Inherit the Wind with Spencer Tracy. Oh yeah, right. Um, yeah, he was in a movie called The Black Hand, which I think is like kind of a spooky horror type movie. Um, so he was in some. He was in, he was D'Artagnan in Three Musketeers in the forties, um, and that's obviously not a musical. So he was in some non musicals, but obviously what he's known for is m- movie musicals. Definitely. So hopefully people will hear this and go watch An American Paris on HBO Max. Philip, thank you so much for coming on. This was a blast. Apologies for, the, for not introducing your podcast at the top of the show. I think we were like, I just I introduced you and you were just like, boom, I'm ready to go. Gene Kelly <laughs> data locked and loaded. And we were off to the races and we just got so in the weeds on, I, on Gene Kelly's I career. I had so much Gene Kelly knowledge that I was, <laughs> if I did say it, I was going to explode. 
I'm glad we saved your life. Yeah, you know, just <laughs> let, the, let, the, let the pressure off. Um, tell people where they can find you and your podcast, the Ultimate Gilmore Girls Movie Night, on social media. Ultimate Gilmore Girls Movie Night podcast. Um, Philip Boone. You can find me at Philip with one L P H I L I P or Boone on um, Twitter. And I believe that is also my Instagram handle. I don't use Instagram near as much. So I always forget what my actual handle is. Um, and then Ultimate Gilmore Girls Movie Night Podcast. Um, we don't have a Twitter for that page. We do have a Facebook page. Um, and we started a new one. And we don't have too many people on that one yet. So um, find Ultimate Gilmore Girls Movie Night um, Podcast on Facebook. Um, you will see my the main page is actually my wife and my our pictures. So you will see our beautiful faces. And when you see that, click on it and talk about how beautiful we are and how you're excited to listen to our podcast. <laughs> Perfect. Thanks again, Philip. This is a blast. I'm sure we'll get you on here at some point. Uh, again, either this show or Franchise Detours. <laughs> I We'll see. I, you mentioned a lot of a lot of movies. that You mentioned Sweeney Todd, which is a, a film adaptation that I really like. Uh, if I get the itch to cover Phantom of the Opera, like you're saying, I think there'll be a, uh, there's not a lot of demand for that. But I I did enjoy that film as well. I think it's uh, you know especially Emmy Rossum. I think her performance is really underrated. Uh, so maybe we'll, we'll, we might have another chance to talk musicals at some point in the near future. I will say I love. I think Emmy Rossum does a perfect job as Christine. Um, yeah. It's not. It's it's she's supposed to be a young girl. Um, and she plays that part because she is, she's. And so I think, I do think she is perfect for that role. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> awesome. Well, th- thanks again, Philip. This was a blast. Awesome. Thank you so much for having me. Big thanks to Philip Boone from the ultimate Gilmore girls movie night podcast for coming on to discuss 1951s in American in Paris. Now I want to know, be honest, friends, have you seen this movie? Have you checked it out? I, as you can see, it's highly recommended. Go get your Gene Kelly on. Uh, if you're maybe you're like me and Singing in the Rain is maybe your biggest ex- exposure to Mr. Kelly, definitely check this out. I believe I mentioned on here it's on HBO Max. Unfortunately, not streaming anywhere. Thanks a lot, Max. But I want to know what's your experience with Mr. Gene Kelly. You can find me on Twitter at Crooked Table, the same handle on Instagram. Be emailing Robert at CrookedTable.com. For now, that's a wrap on another Crooked Table production. We'll be back with another episode on another movie musical sometime soon. But until then, keep watching, everybody. This has been a production of CrookedTable.com. All rights reserved. That's the yard of a little KED.